0: We are continuing on and in week six of, of organic faith. And if you're new with us or if this is your your um, your first time in this part of the series, we're talking about cultivating a life with Christ that brings sustained growth. And so we're looking at all the different things that actually help us bring uh, sustained growth in our lives so we don't just we're not hitting walls and 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 we're actually seeing our lives continually change because um, You know, a one-time thing isn't what we're looking for. We're we're looking for this thing to to exist, uh, you know, forever. (laughs) Um, And so there's this thing in teaching called differentiation. Um, And all the teachers and former teachers just nodded their heads like, yes. (laughs) And so it boils down to this. People learn differently. And so we can't use the same method to teach everyone the same way and expect everyone to grasp the content fully. Some learn best by, um, some are more spatial learners. Some are more auditory learners. Some learn best by using both. And still, some need to read it or write it in order to fully grasp what they're being taught. As teaching practices developed, instructors have learned that we can't use the same thing for everyone. Despite this, we often do just that and the church environment. We say this, whatever this is, is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to, to follow God. And when you look like and sound like X, you've accomplished it. You, you've arrived. You know, when I can get you to look exactly, look and sound like exactly the way I do, then you have become, you know, you have become a, a Christian. You, you, you've made it. And, and, and each subgroup has this definition of what that might be. And a lot of them are are really good. I'm not, not, like, knocking all of that. But I want us to understand is that often we can take this practice of models too far. You know, what if someone doesn't respond to the model placed before them? Or the teaching method used creates more confusion than knowledge. What if someone connects with God in a way that is completely foreign to us? I mean, have you ever experienced that? When like when someone says, "Hey, this is how you learn," you're just like, it's, I, "I don't, I'm not getting it. It's, it's not working for me." And so then you feel bad, <laughs> right? Like, "Oh, maybe I, I don't have faith, or maybe this isn't happening." But the reality is, God works in billions of ways. And so, but when, when, when we create a model, and then when people don't respond to that model, we often say, "Oh, well, that's not how it's done. You can't do it that way." You have to have more faith. That's why you're not getting it. That's why you're not understanding this. Oh, so just try harder and work harder, and then you'll understand. In other words, you're the problem. And then we often internalize this ourselves and then struggle to make sense of our own faith. And so I want to I w- I look at that because, you know, over time, with any system, you actually have to create a model so that people can actually enter the system and so you can... You can You can help people and do this at scale. Like models are important. And at this church, we have models and we use models. Like the model isn't a bad thing. It's a problem when our models become dogmatic. When the model subverts the very thing it was intended to help facilitate. You know, there's a lot of things we take for granted in scripture and are assume are in scripture, but are actually really based on a model that someone created 50 years ago, 200 years ago. And it's just like it gets so ingrained that we never challenge it and we never like ask, okay, why, wh- why am I doing this, why are we doing this if it's not actually working for me? Y'all with me so far? Okay. See, but when we hold too tight to our models and, and don't let it evolve, then we don't evolve either. You know, when, when we hold too, too tight to a model that was created two years ago, 200 years ago, and our world has changed a little bit in the last 200 years, it's hard for us to, to, to really evolve. Because it's not just the world that changed. We change because we are in it, right? Like our circumstances around us affect the way that we learn, that we grasp, that we understand things. And so we have to be able to evolve with it. So one thing I, I was really fascinating to me um, is understanding, like, like, classical music theory and jazz music theory, okay? Now, I know it's like it sounds boring, but hold on, it's going to get fun. All right, I promise. All right, so look, in Western classical music, like, there are these rules you have to follow when you are writing music, okay? That's, that's what music theory is. It's, it's basically these rules that were invented in the 1600s to say, okay, this is how you write proper classical music that is pleasing to the ear. Okay, that, that's what it was about. And so when, when, when it's taught, it's like, okay, you have to follow these rules, and you cannot break them. Okay, if you break them, you get a C or an F. I remember because I got a C on, my, on that one time, and I never broke the rules ever again. Now, eventually, way down the line, after you've become a master, then you can break the rules, but not before. It's this, it's this kind of very binary, like strict system of, 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 uh, of the music. Now jazz music theories is a little bit different and it has also has its models and has its rules, but they're more of a guide. And so instead of you have to follow this rule, it's let me show you how this is done and then you can make a choice. So I remember when I was learning improvisation and I like, I, I kept feeling like I was hitting the wrong notes when I, when I was playing. And, and, and my professor came to me and I was like, I know I hit the wrong notes. He's like, no, you didn't hit the wrong note. You can just make a better choice right here. It's not about right or wrong. It's about the choice you make in this particular, su- in this particular circumstance. And so what that taught me beyond the, the mute side of it is that it's so easy to, to, to make things so black and white. Like, look, there are some things that are absolutely black and white, right? Like, there are some things that it's either straight-up right or straight-up wrong. That's not the things I'm talking about. But too often, we make our entire walk in faith is like this thing that if it's not this, it's it's wrong. If you're not doing exactly like this, you're wrong. And so what I have found, the more freedom that I've had and the more that I'm able to kind of be guided by this and, like, be able to make my own choices— of how I seek God, the more freedom I've had, the more relationship I've had, and just the more fun it's been. And the fruit has been there. But, it, but, but it's taking a, a lot of work and time to, to, to break out of this mindset where it's either or. And I still struggle with that. I'm going to be real. Like, that's something that I still struggle with, but it's, it's just kind of a, a continual journey for me. Now, I bring this up because over the last several weeks, my attempt has been to help some of us break out of our dogmatic models. And for others here who, who don't have a paradigm for church, this is where you're kind of just checking it out, to introduce a way of living with Christ that is actually authentic. That's not like, okay, you follow these rules and you're a Christian. Like, no, it's actually much more than that. Where you have to, like, hide who you are to, to, to pretend that, that, that you're okay and that, and, and that you're, you're justified. And it's just like, no, and so I want to introduce, like, this organic, authentic way of living to become less concerned with how we look on the outside and more concerned with the health of our inside. Now, one of the keys we discussed with that, our current state of being, ours or anyone else's really, is not the main point. Like, where you are is actually not the main point right now. What the main point is perpetual progress. Like, that's the key, that we're always moving forward. We're always taking steps. But that's what it's about. And so the question is, what does this progress look like? How can we visualize this trajectory? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. When we can understand kind of our intended outcomes and our goals, we can use those practices we've talked about to move us through the process and the trajectory that, that we want to have. So we understand that part of the trajectory, kind of where we're trying to go, right, with, with, with our faith, that it's more than just checking off a box. Yes? Okay. So there's this monk in the, ele- in the 11th century. His, uh, his name was Bernard of, of Clairvaux. He, he made a significant impact on Christians for, for centuries, on, on what it means to follow Christ. And one of his like paramount works was called The Four Degrees of Love. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. And so our purpose here rests, our purpose here as a church community and as, as, as followers of Christ, rest in these two passages of Scripture. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so this is the trajectory, right? Like this is it right here. And so the second passage, so this is called the Great Commandment. The second passage is called the Great Commission, which basically says this. Help others be like this. (laughs) Help others do the same. Help others walk with others to do what I've taught you, which is this. Okay? Like if there was ever a Cliff Notes version. Y'all know what Cliff Notes are? Okay, good. So we don't have too many Gen Zers in here. Okay, good. So if there was ever a Cliff Notes version of the Bible, that's it. That passage and the one that says, help others do the same. So let's look at these levels and have a destination in mind of how we want our souls to be transformed. So the first degree of love is is actually quite simple. Love of self, this is what Bernard says, love of self for self's sake. To love ourselves for the sake of ourself. I think we got that one down pretty pat, like most of us, right? <laughs> like, that one's pretty easy. But this first level is important because if we don't know how to love ourselves, then we can't begin to love others or love God. Like, there's a key principle there. See, love is a natural human emotion. It's not something we have to conjure up. And yet, it seems to be difficult to have love w- with others at times, doesn't it? It doesn't seem like that certain people... Only certain people are just like hard to love. And yet God doesn't have a problem loving them. And so maybe there's, a, there's, there's something that has to happen within us so that we can love them and it's not so hard. See, our nature compels us to love ourselves first. Like that is our nature. Like it compels us to love ourselves first. God seems to pick up on this. He seems to be aware of this conundrum Because he says, to love your neighbor as yourself. Later in the letters, he says, to love your spouse as yourself. The famous Christian golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you. So there's, there's a key principle here, right? It sounds selfish, but to love you first, but, but, but it's actually the first part is where it begins. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, that's kind of hard because I don't actually really love myself, or maybe don't even really like myself. Matter of fact, I can say I hate myself. You know, self-loathing is actually pretty common, and it's something that has been growing with, with, with each generation I've, I've, I've observed, and... Whether it's growing more or it's just more uh more prevalent, I'm not sure, but it's something that's just kind of right at the forefront. It's like self-loathing, is a real thing. And so you're like, well, that counters your argument that that we have to that that we that we love ourselves first, that we're naturally compared to love ourselves. Um I'm I'm gonna share something that my friend Eric, uh, who wrote this book on this, uh, actually actually shared. He said, you know, you know, talking to working with a lot of teenagers, and I work with a lot of teenagers too, like you hear that laugh lot, oh, I, I, hate, I, you know, I hate the way my body looks, right? Or it's like if you really hated yourself, you would be happy that you hated your body, right? But instead, no, you're actually depressed. You're actually really sad. And so that proves that you actually don't hate yourself. You actually do love yourself, but you just have a low self-worth or a lower self-value. And so our, our nature is actually oriented to love ourselves. We just can't always do that or know how. And so while some of us may struggle with low self-worth or or, or self-value, our nature is still oriented towards loving ourselves. The trajectory then is in these practices, is in this walk with Jesus to shift the narratives in our mind and allow God to change our heart from self-loathing or or low self-worth to worthy and accepted and valued. That's why this is the first step. And so for some, you actually have to start here because that, that your, your own self-worth and self-acceptance isn't there. And, it's, and I can say from personal experience, like, I have been there, and it is toxic to your soul. And it's actually something that prevents you from loving others the way God has called us to. And so for some of us, we have to, we have to start there. Now, for others, and really kind of with our culture, we can go to the other side, the, the, the extreme self-love, which is pretty, pretty prevalent right now, I think we would all agree. You know, when we love ourselves a little too much. When our preferences and what we desire become first place, always. When we, as Deb Lawrence, a missionary, talks about subscribe to the toddler laws, Y'all familiar with the toddler laws? Let me, let me show them to you. This is what she says. These are the toddler laws. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must not ever appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all of the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, guess what? It becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. It's a little extreme, right? I mean, not for toddlers, that's basically what it is. But for adults, it's it's, okay, that's a little extreme, but not that much, (laughs) right? It's like, this is the orientation that drives our American culture, and especially our consumer culture. I want what I want, and I want it now. And we don't get what we want now, we are angry. And look, sometimes we recognize when we're being like this, and other times we don't. Because that's the thing. Often when we don't understand the cultural around us, we don't understand how it's impacting us. Because it's just like, it's, it's ingrained in us, and so we don't realize we're actually being a certain way because it's been normalized. And so when something is normalized, that means it becomes so regular, so familiar, that we don't recognize things that are problematic. And so... While some need to come from one extreme and actually be able to kind of get rid of our self-loathing and, 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 and actually be able to care for ourselves, others kind of need to pull from the other extreme and say, okay, maybe I love myself a little too much. And, that's, and there's no, like, shame in that because that really is, like, just a thing now. Like, it, it really is. And so the thing is it takes the grace of God, it takes the mercy of God, it takes... God in our lives to be able to move us to this, out of this degree of love, out of this stage of love, to the next stage. And that's why I don't want you to feel like feel bad about it, because it actually takes the grace of God to work in us so that we can break out of that. And so what is that next stage? That next degree of love is the love of God for self sakes. This is also a natural part of love and the process of loving God. Like, everything I'm talking about is a natural process. And so it's important to help us define where we are there. So we've talked a lot, and we're going to continue to talk a lot about the redemptive nature of God. This nature is something we see all throughout the story of the Bible. Like, He is a redeeming God. It's supposed to be something that we experience in our lives constantly. Like, if we see it all throughout Scripture, like, maybe... I should be able to experience redemption, you know, regularly, right? You know, Paul says um, that we, we are saved, we have been saved, and we are being saved. Three different tenses. That means there's this perpetual encounter with God where we experience his redemption in our lives, where we experience his rescue us in our lives, where we experience him just coming down and holding us like continually, not like this one-time event, not like this one-time occurrence, oh, when, you know, when I was 12 years old, I got saved. Like, okay, great, but it's, it's continual. It's ongoing. In our lives with God, as we stop and consider his movement, in our lives, we're grateful for his blessings, right? I mean, we're grateful for his provisions, for his protections. We remember the times when we were in trouble and we were rescued, as we experience this freedom in God, we find that he, wait a minute, he actually does love me. Like as you experience, if you've ever experienced that time like when he just like answered a prayer, you're like, oh man, God does love me. And so out of, out of that, you're like, oh wait, I, I love God too. And I want to love him. That's the natural response. That's the way it should be. We love God because of what he has done for us. 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. This is why it's a natural part of the process and something that we have to be seeking out. You know, it's like when we were kids. If you do this, I'll be your best friend. You remember that? I can't help but, like, not think of Will Ferrell and the Elf, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, our adult versions of kids, like, if you do this, I'll love you forever. <laughs> right? Like, it's it's a natural part of love. It's a natural part of growth. It's a natural part of walking with Christ. But we have to be able to experience it. And it is genuine, right? Like, it's, like, when we experience it, like, it is a genuine love that takes place. It's not forced, it's not fake, but it is conditional. And that's okay right now, that's part of the stage, but it is, it is conditional. So the implication here is that we actually can't love God without first knowing his love for us. That's the implication that Bernard is saying and that First John is telling us. And so with that, it would also imply that to try to force ourselves to love God... And do things out of this so-called love without actually knowing it firsthand is not possible. I'm going to say that one more time. To, to force ourselves to love God because it's what we're supposed to do, and to operate out of this love of God because it's what we're supposed to do, without actually knowing God's love ourselves and having experienced, is not possible. We can't force it on ourselves, and we certainly can't force it on others to operate that way. And look, this is a common place to be. It's part of our growth. It's part of who we are and, and where we need to go, but too often we stay in this stage, and God wants to take us further. And so let's look at the third degree. Love of God for God's sake. So this is the third degree. This is the next part of our trajectory. This third degree, as Bernard says, is the love of God for God's sake. As we experience the love of God in our lives, especially in times of angst or trouble, we're able to get a glimpse of just how great he is and just how much he loves us. And then all of a sudden, as that happens more and more, like as we experience that more and more, all of a sudden our love changes from Conditional to just, I just love him. Like, I just, I just want to love him. I just, I just do. You know, in the second level that we just talked about, we experience tremendous life change, which leads us further into the arms of God. In this level, we experience life change, and we experience heartache, and it has no bearing on how much we love God. Like, we can say with complete confidence, God, you can do not another thing for me, and I will still love you. that steadiness, that contentment leads us to a union with Christ that we've all been longing for. I remember one time not too long ago that I, I had to do a personal inventory of just kind of my, my, my relationship with God and just like my my, my love for him. And, and I didn't want to do it because I, I knew there was something there and I was like I had to be honest and I had to be true and I realized that a lot of my love for God was conditional you know was based on all the things that he had done for me and again there was nothing wrong with that but I realized there has to be more than that and I just I kind of felt bad that that's that's what the core of it was you know and I'm telling you that not so that you feel bad (laughs) that's not the point of this I'm telling you that because I had to take that inventory. I had to come to my own place and realize, okay, my love for God has been conditional up to this point. I know there's something more. And and I want to work towards that. I want to love God just just to love him. Like, I want to love God like the way that I love my little brother, right? That I love my family. Like, it doesn't matter what my little brother does or doesn't do. Nothing can stop me from loving him, right? Like, it's just... It's baked in. Like, I want that same kind of love. And so, to arrive at this level, we have to constantly go to Him with our needs and, and with prayer. And, and as He just kind of comes through, we experience that love and, and, it, and it becomes a little bit deeper, it becomes a little less conditional. And it happens a little bit more, and it's a little bit deeper, and a little less conditional. You know, we start giving up control over the things in our lives because we, we want to. Because we're less concerned with how this is going to turn out, and more concerned with how God wants it to turn out. Which is like one of the hardest things to do, especially if you're a control freak, right? Right? But even if you're not, like, we all have that, because that's 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 again part of our American culture. You know, if you work hard enough, everything will work out for you. I mean, which isn't true, but that's that's what we're taught. But to like give up that control, because we're 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 going to say, okay, God, I'm I'm going to trust you with this, and no matter what happens, I'm going to love you through it. All of this draws us deeper, and we taste more of his genuine affection. And that affection infects us to where we don't care whether he does another thing. We just, we just love him. This is what that degree is like. You know, when, we, when we've come here, we've entered a new dimension when our heart is cared for by Christ, and so we care for others. Like, it's just automatically, we just care for others because his love just infects us. It's this care that allows us to break free from our self-centered culture, a culture that we all struggle with. But as we break free, we can love and care for others without restraint. As this happens, we can love our neighbor as ourself. We can love our neighbor whether are on Jones Creek or they're on North Boulevard, whether in Homa or Juarez, Mexico whether in Louisiana or Kuwait, we can love our neighbor as ourself because we've experienced God's love for us. Not because of how well we performed, not because of how good we are, but just because he wants to. Okay, so there is a fourth degree but we're not going to get into that today. Uh, the reason being is that it's a bit more complicated and it's easier to grasp in, in a small environment. I'm going to say this, though. I want us to focus on these three degrees and let this be our trajectory f- for now. And, and, and if you want to, like, all right, I want to know what the fourth degree is. That's okay. Let me know. Send me an email. And I know I'm leaving you hanging. It's like a Netflix show, right? And so, now you got to come back. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're, we're going to have a, a course on it that actually this is going to go over that, that fourth degree um, and, uh, and, and we're going to talk more about it. But, uh, so look, two final things. Remember that this is a path we want to dive into, that our walk in Christ is not about action. Action is the result. And I'm hoping that we've got what we've gone over today can give you a picture of what you're working towards. Finally, look at this not just from your overall life, but look at it in layers. See this thing, we're never just one thing. You know, we're, we have multiple layers and multiple things happening. And so one part of us can be in the third degree, and another part of us can be in the first degree. So don't feel shame because one part of you is still show, uh, selfish, but also don't feel pride because one part of you is overwhelmingly loving. We all have to, to move all of our layers in all these degrees. It requires constant attention, but if we make space for it, change will happen. I promise you. A friend of mine came up with a great way to help us navigate this and so I'm going to share that with you in our practical tips. So, number one, and I'm also, uh, so number one, draw a picture of the four degrees of love in this case the three, pay attention to what form you use. For example, concentric circles, steps, align with markers. And then answer this question either in a journal or, or with a group. It would be really helpful in a group, even if it's a group of two. Why did you choose such a model? And I want you to try to draw it a different way. I'm going to leave this up for a second, but also remember that this is online on the Practical Tips page if you want to go back to it. Number two, look at one area in your life. Take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where he sees you in your model that you created. Would you put yourself in the same place he did? This is like a great exercise for perspective. Because we all have blind spots, we all have biases, we all, none of us can see of everything. And so, like, to ask God to show us where we are in our model, and then to actually be, we have to be honest with ourselves to, like, get a true answer, to say, okay, I actually think I'm here, but God says I'm here, and, like, and let that, just let that come to the surface, and, like, expose that. It's a good thing. It's not always, like, fun to do it, (laughs) right? But it's a good thing. All right, number three. So these are all tied together. But, so what growth can you realistically see over the next six months? And so you have a trajectory, and you can work towards that. Looking at all the stuff we talked about, this can help you get there. And then after, as you do that, then you do it again for another part of your life. And we're just, we're we're on this, just kind of this path, and it's it's fun because as our lives change, we just, it's just like, yeah, I want to do this again. (laughs) Okay, so for communion, I'm going to ask everyone to stand right now before we get into communion. I'm also going to ask our prayer team to come up. And so as we prepare for communion, Think of the psalmist who asked God to search me. Psalm says, search me, God. Would you have the same prayer as we take communion today? And just seek God for him to actually do that, for him to actually search you, and just to be with him in that as we take communion. Also take this time for for communion to, to bring whatever is pressing on your mind or heart, to the communion table. And let Christ take that burden from you and give you his. The communion table was more than just a memorial. It's more than just a practice. It's more than just a ritual. It's a place where we get to encounter the very face of God. And so as, you, as we do that today, let him take your burden. Let him search you. And if you're in a place right now to where you're, you're being drawn by this, you're, something is like, I, I, I want to experience this, I want to encounter this, I want to know more, I want to invite you to the communion table. It's open to you. And if you want someone to pray with you, Regarding anything we've talked about. Or if you're like, I, 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 I want to take the next step with God here. I need some help doing that. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. And so you can just come up for that over the next couple songs. So these next couple songs are as we're worshiping, it's a time of communion and, 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 and breaking bed with, with, with Christ, and as well as to just come coming to coming to Christ with, with our heart bearing all. So let's worship.